Shalom. My name is Dr. Shimon Lev. In English, my English name is Dr. Seymour Hart, and uh, I graduated from a very prestigious medical school in, uh, in Europe, and I practice in the area of integrative medicine, functional medicine, holistic healthcare, and also aesthetic medicine. And this is how I became interested in the legal work of Michael H. Cohen. Today I'm interviewing him not only about medicine, but also about his views about health in general, and also with respect to spirituality and religion. Michael Habibi Shalom. Uh, what got you interested in medicine, health, and what is it about death? Uh, you said today that this was a topic that you wish to address, not the most joyous for people, not a lot of simcha. Uh, nonetheless, you mentioned that it was important to you. Zechashuv. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this concept and why it's so important to your overall view of health and wellness and what it means to you as a healthcare lawyer and personally. When I was a college student, I became very interested in the works of Carlos Castaneda, who wrote about, of course, sorcery, you know, magic, uh, spirituality in the South American, uh, Native American traditions. And I remember him saying that death is an ally. Death is always over your shoulder. And uh, so I was quite influenced by this. I started reading uh, books about uh, use of uh, ritual use of peyote and people having near-death experiences and altered states of consciousness. And one thing led to another. I was a very impressionable college student. So while I was uh, doing my concentration in political science and taking a course on international law and thinking that I might go into government, or politics. My parents had always encouraged a political pathway. Uh, I was also reading all of this literature about uh, spirituality, about visions, about shamanic quests, and about dying and death, and about what death had to teach us about life. One of the things that really impressed me as I was reading these different works was the position the authors maintained that uh, not only does death make life meaningful, but death is really you know, not a cessation of human experience. It is simply the continuation of human experience in another dimension, another realm of being, uh, another translation of, of, of human reality, um, another way for the soul to pass through existence, maybe not in an embodied way, but certainly in a way that has meaning and is relevant to us, and not only that, but a way that we can access. Now. I had a conservative bent, and so I did not uh, do any mind-altering drugs. And actually, I'm, I'm grateful for that because, you know, when I have experiences today, mystical experiences, very personal experiences, I don't attribute them to anything biochemical that I might have triggered uh, during college. So while I was offered the opportunity to go on an acid trip, and some people might say, gosh, you know, you really should have. It, was, uh, it would blow your mind, man. Uh, do it. Um, I'm glad I didn't because, uh, you know, in my own mind, there's an authenticity uh, to my own experience, and I don't feel like it's uh, 
you know, induced by, by the residue of any drug. Um, of course, I'm not, you know, denying that, uh, you know, those um, substances can be very useful when used in a ceremonial way. And I've certainly been uh, to my share of sweat lodges and been in rooms filled with incense and done chanting, and I find all of those practices really powerful. Uh, one of the things that happened actually right before I got to college is I had the opportunity to do a, um, an internship or get a summer job at Wayne State University Medical School where my mom held a faculty appointment as a medical school professor. And during that time, I snuck into an unlocked room and it turned out to be the room, a room full of cadavers that were being uh, prepared for dissection in the gross anatomy class. And so suddenly I was confronted with the very real reality of, you know, people, bodies uh, without animation, uh, without the animated person in there. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make any sense of this. I mean, it was just completely shocking. And, um, you know, I tried to talk about it with my dad. Um, he didn't really know, you know, how to address it. I think, uh, you know, we don't really, like, teach parents to talk to their kids about something like this. And, um, you know, even years later, like I would search within, within my own home tradition within Judaism, and I had to go to a book called Jewish Views of the Afterlife, which compares Talmudic and other Jewish wisdom about the afterlife with the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And um, I found that book extremely interesting and revelatory and relevant and very well researched and well written. And, you know, there it is, the stages of post-dying of a spirit are mapped out by these disparate traditions in very parallel ways. Um, and those uh, accounts were consistent with what I was also learning in my study of energy healing, you know, many years later. And so, because uh, my teacher, Barbara Brennan, always said, look, you know, humans continue and they have seven layers of the aura, at least, in her system or human energy field, she liked to make it sound scientific, and uh, the body is, you know, the most dense part of human experience, but there are also thoughts and beliefs and other systems and other bodies. Um, and when we die, you know, we're no longer the physical body, and some of the other gross layers of the energy field dissolve, but these other, uh, you know, these other uh, luminous uh, aspects of our being persist, and in fact carry the soul memory and the karma from age to age, and uh, then eventually fashion a new body. So you don't have to buy all of that. Uh, I'm not going into incredible depth. Uh, simply to say that, you know, it was hard for me to find the maps um, in a synagogue because this all comes out of mystical Judaism, contemplative Judaism, other aspects of our tradition that are in rabbinic Judaism and yet didn't necessarily rise to the foreground. Um, at any rate, there I was, you know, staring at these cadavers at age 16, and I just, I couldn't fathom it. It was utterly shocking. And I think at that point, you know, it solidified my quest, even though outwardly I was on this career trajectory to the Senate, if you will, um, which didn't manifest because of certain other things that happened in college where I realized that that wasn't my path, that was not what I wanted. I would do my public service in a different way um, but nonetheless, I was, I was trying to reckon with death and wrestle with it, you know, even at that uh, borderland zone between high school and college.
if I go back even to childhood, my, uh, my paternal grandfather died when I was a teenager, and I remember, I have memories uh, of him, of him you know, being healthy and making a penny disappear, and then it would reappear from my ear. He you know, did these magic tricks. He played backgammon. He, I think he smoked cigars. I mean, he was a man who loved life. He was very robust, and um, I didn't know much about this, but he apparently was very skilled and gifted in, in sales and was able to retire early. And he liked to play golf. I mean, he was just very, very warm. Um, he got me interested in reading. He gave me these really thick books uh, that he really, they were his favorites. Like, I remember like pouring through Ivanhoe, you know, when I was like 14. And uh, I don't know if I got this one from him, but, um, you know, I ran the, the Fountainhead. And, you know, here I am going through these three, four, five, six hundred page fiction books. So, I remember my grandfather being healthy and then I remember, you know, my dad carrying him to the to the bed and then he had this thing was called a ticker and it made a noise and it was uh, you know, then I remember that he died and and I cried and I didn't know where he was. Um, maybe someone told me that he was in heaven. Uh, it didn't really you know, there was really not a good explanation for what happened and uh, you know, I always felt connected to him. Um, and then years later, my, you know, my, my maternal uh, grandfather um, died, and uh, both in the month of October, so I'm recording this in October. Uh, my dad also passed in October, and so the whole male lineage uh, was struck in October. Um, and I was reminded of this because I was walking around San Diego today, and there are these ads for the Day of the Dead which apparently in, in the Mexican tradition is a celebration of the presence of the ancestors. And um, over the years, you know, the experience of death, while on the human level, you can't bypass the psychological. There's no doubt I have grief still um, about each of these deaths, over each of these deaths. The, the grief is very much a living part of me. And it's sad. And, you know, in other ways, the sadness has a sweetness to it because it's the manifestation of the most incredible love that I've ever experienced. You know, the love that I have for my dad and my Zadie and my grandpa who loved me so much and so nurtured me when I was a young lad and through my whole life. And they're still with me. You know, they're very present, maybe for another episode. They're very, very present with me um, each and every day, sometimes in very subtle ways. And sometimes in very obvious ways, they come in my dreams and they speak to me and they're with me. And there's no question, like every day is the day of the dead. Every day the dead are with us. And what I have read as theory, as exciting uh, myth, if you will, um, or possibility as an undergraduate at Columbia University is real to me today because I've had the good fortune to really dive to that experience. Um, I'm just remembering, you know, uh, I don't remember the year that this movie came out. It was called All That Jazz. And um, in the movie, this choreographer was dying. And he would have these jazzy songs, and he would go into these visions, which were partly that his body was failing, and he would go off into the other planes. And he would have these visions, and it would be like, death is in, you know, death is really jazzy, and... And um, 
you know, kind of like made a celebration of the fact that somebody was crossing to the other side. That's the way that my teacher, Barbara Brennan, described dying, that it really is a celebration, the death experience. In the Talmud, apparently, the Talmud describes death and the separation from the body as gentle as separating a hair from milk. That's the experience. Now, I, I haven't been there. I've had a near-death experience uh, that is a wonderful, wonderfully lyrical and beautiful description. Um, it is October. Uh, the day of the dead is near. And the presence of the male lineage is with me. And I feel a mixture of human grief and soaring, triumphant, transcendental celebration in my heart as I experience the closeness of these fathers and fathers of fathers who are always with me. Death is a privilege in my view. Life is a privilege. We're privileged that we can go through these cycles of incarnation and disincarnation. Um, I'm reminded of another memory. I remember I was at Bolt Hall School of Law my first year at University of California, Berkeley. And I would go into my classes and we would do this Socratic method. And I, I had one teacher, he would like basically toss a hat and he would say, okay, you're the plaintiff, argue this case. And then he would toss a hat into the room again and say, you're the defendant now, argue this case. I remember those rooms, the, the professor would be at the bottom of this pit and the students would be like a hundred of us in a you know, Coliseum style seated around going up into the back of the room and it really felt like, like, you know, like your voice would just come through from you know, the top of the room and all the eyes and ears would be on. You'd have to make a coaching argument. And I would go from that, and then I would go down to Sproul Plaza where they had jugglers, and I think the naked man was there, and the polka dot man, and you know, there are all these interesting people. And then they had the table for the Hare Krishnas, and I remember there was like a, a crèche. There was a, um, like a you know, paper mache cow, and it was turning its head to a man wielding an ax, and it was saying, don't slaughter me, you know, I'm conscious. Um, I was really curious, and these guys were bobbing up and down with their shaved heads and singing and playing their tambourines. They were oh so happy, and uh, I was, you know, a little scared by the whole thing because uh, when I was in high school, we were told that these were cults, and you, you know, you don't want to be brainwashed, and then people have to come and deprogram you. So I didn't get too close, but you know, I did. I did really heed the messages, and I, I picked up a book, um, which I actually read when my girlfriend at the time was studying for the bar exam, I was reading Easy Journey to Other Planets by Swami, you know, one of the Hare Krishna Swamis. So, um, you know, in that book, interestingly, I mean, it very much reminded me of reading Plato at Columbia in Greek philosophy, and he talks about the transmigration of souls. And, you know, sure enough, if you go back to, like, the Christian literature before the, you know, the Nicene um, era and, and the... Uh, you know, the church decided there, there wasn't going to be a reincarnation, but you know, the whole idea that souls kind of move around is very, very common. So, um, and then later I did past life regression and uh, came across the work of Dr. Brian Weiss, who um, 
was regressing his patients and, uh, uh, well, past life regressing them. And not, regress, not regressive behaviors, but, but memories of times uh, from other times and places and in between the lives. And I always found it quite fascinating. Of course, some people say that you don't want to spend too much time there because you want to pay attention to this life. And you know, we have real uh, physical, emotional, economic, um, and spiritual needs and fulfillment in this lifetime and relationships. But um, yeah, man, Hare Krishnas, they had their... They had their day. Everyone has their influence, I suppose. And uh, even as I was listening to the voices of Cardozo and uh, the other great uh, justices, uh, Justice Brennan, and the great dissenter, and uh, Blackstone, and uh, all the other legal jurists, um, I had these other voices coming through from ancient lands telling me about souls and giving me other ideas. And so it was all there. Uh, Michael, uh, how do you see uh, death and dying in your work on law and healing and medicine? What, what connections can you draw for us? Uh, in, 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 in that uh, zone. Well, uh, Dr. Hart, I, I think obviously uh, understanding and honoring spirituality is, is very important in medicine as in all of healthcare. Of course, it's part of the healing arts, especially as you get more into, uh, say, Reiki and uh, you know, different kinds of energy healing um, where you know, the connections are very overt um, in medicine, sometimes they're more subtle. You know, even in, in, in very conventional medicine, they talk about a good bedside manner, we talk about rapport, we talk about empathy. So, you know, that's deeply ingrained in, in the Hippocratic Oath and in uh, the ethical ideal of beneficence. And, you know, doctors obviously uh, go into medicine for reason. It's a path of service. It's a path of caring. Um, what has happened historically is that you know, in the ancient days, the shaman used to be both the doctor and the religious guide, and those roles are now separated in that we have a separation of science and religion, and there's some debate as to whether the two are oppositional or, as the Dalai Lama likes to say, they're actually very congruent. And certainly, you know, if you look at books that became popular, like the Tao of Physics and you know, Bernie Siegel and Deepak Chopra and that whole lineage. Um, you know, certainly, you know, even if you go to like more recent examples like John Kabat-Zinn and uh, MBSR and how mindfulness is being incorporated into um, all sorts of clinician training, um, you know, spirituality is, is part of everything. Um, you know, obviously in, in hospice work and, and when patients are ill, you know, it's important to connect with them because sometimes things, you know, might not be moved on a physiological, biochemical pathway or level, yet there might be some healing of the heart or there might be uh, something that is really important to the person from another dimension, um, a more emotional dimension, a more uh, spiritual dimension, let's say, and uh, that involves atonement, atonement, reconciliation, um, even, 
you know, it's entered the literature that there's some very important things that people have to say to their loved ones, like, I love you, or I'm sorry, forgive me. You know, these are very important life tasks. So I'm not going to get on a podium here because the literature's out there. Other people have done the work. Um, I would just say that, uh, you know, clearly spirituality is part of medicine, and we can't dissociate anymore. We can't pretend that, you know, that we're so scientific and so holy about being scientific that we have to divorce our minds from our hearts, uh, divorce our you know, brains from the rest of the body and pretend that there's absolutely no connection. Um, spirituality is the lingua franca, spirituality is the lingua franca of humanity. Uh, that's simply the way that it is. I mean, to be human is to speak about, uh, is to speak about our spirit, is to speak to, uh, to ultimate reality. I think to do less, uh, you know, runs a lot of risks. So it's vital. You know, it's vital to medicine. I started my, um, my career in the trajectory of uh, alternative medicine, complementary medicine, integrative medicine. I started out as a professor, law school professor, teaching healthcare law, writing about bioethics. And one of the first pieces that I wrote was called Toward a Bioethics of Compassion. And I went through the basic bioethical values including non-maleficence, beneficence, autonomy, and justice. And then I concluded by saying that beyond a bioethics of compassion is compassion itself. And I think that this really was my professional and personal journey, which was to, in a way, move out of law, you know, see law as trying to do what some people in medicine were trying to do, which was to be only logical, to be only rational, you know, to be a Spock, to be the Vulcan side of Spock, and it's unrealistic. And so for a while I left law and I became a healer. I was still teaching law, but my identity was really not as a lawyer. And I was like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Uh, I was required to go back to Nineveh and you know, speak to the people. Um, I was required to do that integration. I was you know, asked and demanded that I be back in society, that I pick up my uh, not gavel, but, uh, you know, sword, I suppose, like, like, uh, like Arjuna, you know, I couldn't leave the battlefield. And so I went back in, I practiced law, um, opened my own firm, I've grown a law firm. And, you know, here we are, it's the integration of spiritual dimensions of humanity and physical dimensions of humanity. And the law I see is mediating the two. Um, the law kind of standing in between saying, you know, here's what you must do, here's what you must not do, here's what you can do, and also using the law to express, channel, provide a container and support for the fullest expression of humanity, the fullest expression of being human, which includes both scientific medicine and spirituality, and then integrating those two, titrating those two, synthesizing those two in a way that's deeply personal, and yet at the same time archetypical and communal as well. Uh, shalom. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. Very, very interesting insights into medicine, law, and spirituality. And let me say for our audience that uh, you can find more uh, episodes at 
www.healthcarelegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegallegalleg